Thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. All right, if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 2. We're going to actually really pick up where we left off last week because last week, as you might remember, I didn't make it all the way through the sermon. So um, last week we talked about as we were going through Acts chapter 2, which is Pentecost, which is the birth of the church, that there was a right revelation, that Peter got up and began to preach a right revelation, and then there was a right response that was required by the people. And you would remember that they said, what must we do? And he said, repent and be baptized. And so we're going to pick up where we left off last week, and we're talking about that there's a right response, and that right response leads to a right result. And so we'll look at a right result this morning, but as you remember from last week, Repentance is more than regret. Repentance is actually uh, hating the sin that separates you from God, where regret is actually just hating the consequences of the sins that you're going through. And so a lot of times we'll have a lot of regret and we'll hate that we're in a situation that we're in, but we really don't want to change the sin that's in our life. We just want to change the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And so regret is more self-focused. Regret is more, I need to fix me. God, I'm going to come to church. I'm going to try to be a good person for a little bit because I need to fix myself. That's kind of regret. Repentance, on the other hand, repentance is God-focused. God, I need you to fix me. God, there's something deeply, deeply wrong with me, and there's sin in my heart, and I need you to fix me because I cannot fix myself, and that's repentance. And so we understand that there's a right revelation that calls unbelievers to a right response, which is repentance and baptize, ba- baptism. What must I do? Repent and be baptized. It says in Acts 2, 41, so those who received the word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. We have the birth of the church. It took place, and the birth of the church took place because there was a right revelation. Peter got up in the boldness of the Holy Spirit, and he began to preach an apostolic message where he said, look, all of these things from the Old Testament point towards Jesus Christ. And so he began to preach a right revelation that led to a right response of repentance and baptism. And what God did that day was added to the church. So you might ask yourself, well, why do I really need to be baptized? I mean, isn't praying the prayer, isn't making the profession of faith enough? I mean, why should I really go through uh, the uncomfortableness of being wet in front of people, right? That's kind of the issue. There's a lot of people who are like, ah, it might mess up my hair. You know, I, I, I don't want to get wet in front of people. I, I tried to look good on Sunday morning, and that's going to ruin everything. Well, we know that baptism is something we do because it's, it's a biblical mandate. Not only, not only is it said here in Acts that what must we do, repent and be baptized, but Jesus actually exemplified that. Jesus, as you remember, he was baptized by John the Baptist in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. What took place at the baptism of Jesus Christ was not that Jesus was coming in repentance, but Jesus was coming to be identified 
as the Son of God. So there was an identity that took place. Likewise, if we follow the example of Christ, when we are baptized and we follow a public profession of faith, we are then identified as sons and daughters of the King. Am I right? So there's this public profession that takes place in baptism. Jesus was baptized. He set the example, and Jesus also commands baptism. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't think there's a one of us in here that would argue the fact that we're all called to be believers who make disciples. Am I right? These are like the last words of Jesus. And usually the last words of somebody are like really important words, unless they're like, ugh, and then that's not a really good last word. But last words are usually pretty important. And these are the last words of Jesus. Look, I want you to go and make disciples. So we think that making disciples is a biblical mandate because it was commanded by Jesus Christ. Am I right? But what about baptism? Just as equally important in this, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, verse 37 of Acts chapter 2. Let's see what he says there. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You notice how many of them that repented needed to be baptized? Every one of them. Every one of them, every person who puts their hope and faith and love in Jesus Christ and surrender themselves to him through repentance, every one of them are to be baptized. Well, why? What does it mean? Well, it's an identity of being uh, immersed with Christ. There's, there's the word, the word baptizo in the Greek means immersed. And uh, as we were going through the class last Sunday night for the membership class, I joked around and I told them, I was like, there was once a, a time in my life when I was trying to become a youth pastor and I was interviewing at all these different churches and uh, I was just throwing out resumes and it didn't matter what denomination it was at that time. I was just trying to land wherever God wanted me to go. And so I interviewed at a Methodist church and that question came up, hey, will you baptize by immersion? And my response was, well, that's what they did in the Bible. I didn't get that job. So, it is a picture of his resurrection. So, this is what Colossians says. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. Having been buried with Christ in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. There is a picture of death, burial, and resurrection. It's an outward appearance. It shows that we have a new life in Christ Romans 6, 4 says, We were therefore buried with Christ through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So baptism is for all who put their faith, hope, love, and life in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, have you followed through with believers' baptism? Has there been a point in your life where you said, I made the profession of faith and I need to follow through because it's repentance and baptism? I say that to you because that is a right response, a right response to a right revelation. And uh, I needed to finish that point out from last week. So as we jump into Acts 2.42, I want to talk to you about a right result. The church will grow 
and a right result. Let's pray first, though. Let's go in. Father, I thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for your word. And God, we thank you that it's a light to our path that leads and guides us. It, it helps us to understand you more clearly and helps convict us more sternly. God, this morning, as we look at your word, I would pray, Father, that you would change our hearts. Help us to understand your church. Help us to understand what you've called us to be a part of and that we would have a right response and a right result because of a right revelation. In Christ's name, amen. Acts 2, 42 through the end of the chapter. Let's read. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. This is the beginning of the church. There was a Pentecost, and that Pentecost is the Feast of Harvest, and there was a harvest of souls that took place on that day, and there was, a, there was an addition of 3,000 souls that were added to the church, and they began to grow together. They began to meet together. And so the first thing I want you to see is the early church grew in community. If you're taking notes, the early church grew in community. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. They were devoted. Devotion is a hard thing, is it not? To be devoted to something means you've got to put in time and energy. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, there's two things that help the church grow. There's two components that I want you to see that are a part of a growing, healthy church. Number one, correct teaching. And number two, camaraderie. If you want to have a healthy, growing church, now this is Luke. He's the, he's the physician. He's writing about what it looks like to, to start the church, and he's writing it, and, and I just can't help but see that there's a connection between what a healthy church looks like and what he thinks a healthy person looks like, and the healthy church is one that is built up of correct teaching and camaraderie. You can't have one without the other. Now, I would say correct teaching is first and foremost, you need to have correct teaching. You need to be part of a, of a church body where Christ is exalted, where it's Christ-centric, where everything is pointing towards Jesus Christ. And, and you need to find a church that, that teaches that. And, you know, people are watching online nowadays. All the churches have been forced to go online. And so there's a whole lot of teaching that you can choose from, a whole lot of teaching, but not a lot of correct teaching all the time. But there's, there's got to be a desire for correct teaching. But you can't just watch and you can't just listen to podcasts. The church that was healthy is one that had correct teaching with camaraderie. There's a part of being in the church where God draws people together for them to be a body, to function the way he wants them to function. They were devoted in those days to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to breaking of bread and prayers. This was a healthy church. Now, I can imagine since it's February that there's a lot of people who made New Year's resolutions. Anyone here make a New Year's resolution? Anyone just afraid? Like, you just didn't even try it this year. You're like, 2020? Like, whatever. So, uh, I'm not even trying that this year. You know, uh, a lot of people, they'll make New Year's resolutions, and the reason you know is because the gyms are packed. 
during January. Uh, I went and I canceled my gym membership. That was my New Year's resolution, and I finally did it. I hadn't been in weeks and months, and I was like, look, I'm just spending money, and I'm not ever going, so kudos to me, right? So New Year's resolution, quit the gym. But everyone else joined the gym, so I don't really feel bad about it. Now, it's February, and if you drive past the gyms, you'll notice there's not quite as many cars as there were in January. Am I right? And you know why? This word, devotion. The word devotion. It's easy to be devoted for a short period of time. It's hard to be devoted for a long period of time because it takes effort. There's four areas of devotion for a church to function in healthy community. And here they are. Number one, a devotion to a right diet of God's word. You know, chips and cookies and candy, those things are delicious, right? Happy Meals, uh, McDonald's, fish filet, I don't know, the, the McRib, these things, you know, they're wonderful to eat. But if you eat them on a regular basis, you're not going to be a you're not going to be a very healthy person because you have the wrong diet. Now, I hate to inform you of this in case this is news to you, but if you're only eating chicken nuggets, then sooner or later, it's not going to work out well for you, okay? So we got to have a healthy diet of God's Word. Now, there's no short amount of things that we can fill our minds with. Our, our minds are bombarded these days. I'm sure that as you're sitting here, you might get an alert about something on social media of something you can then fill your mind with while I'm actually preaching. Am I right? Uh, the other day, I was, I was doing a funeral, and I got 16 text messages during the funeral that were popping up on my iPad. There's all kinds of things that can happen while we're trying to be uh, taking in a right diet of God's Word. And what's the one thing that's quickly put aside? Time with God. Spending time in God's Word. We can, we can spend time on Facebook. We can spend time on Instagram. We can spend time uh, reading the news. We can spend time watching Fox News or whatever news you watch. We can spend all the time in the world doing these things and filling our minds with a diet of things that do not have an eternal purpose. But we need to have a right diet of God's Word. Even Jesus said this. I just got a text message, by the way. Jesus answered them, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need a right diet of God's word, and we need a right devotion to an exercise of corporate fellowship. A right diet of God's word and a right exercise of corporate fellowship. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. So correct teaching and camaraderie. Exercise is difficult. It makes your muscles sore. It's tiring. It takes commitment. It takes accountability. It even takes a steady routine. And if you don't have a steady routine of exercise, you'll never see the benefits of exercise. There's some of us who, are, who will exercise, you know, once and will say, that's good. That's good for the week right there. That's good for the month. And uh, I'll just go on. But real exercise takes dedication. It takes motivation. And, and let me tell you, when it comes to fellowship in the body of Christ, it, sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's difficult to get the kids ready on Sunday morning. Do I hear an amen? Sometimes it's difficult to get here when there's snow on the ground. Sometimes it's difficult to be devoted to being part of a fellowship because there's all other things that are 
buying for our attention. I often tell people in premarital counseling, if you want a healthy marriage, drive separate to church. Because there's all kinds of things that can happen on Sunday morning. And then you're bickering on the way here, and you're like, we're going to worship the Lord. Right? An, an exercise of corporate fellowship is sometimes difficult. And the thing is, is if we're out of fellowship with Christ, it's easy to justify being out of fellowship with his church. If we're out of fellowship with Christ, it's easy to justify being out of fellowship with his church. The church gathered is not attending a service. It's belonging to a body. The early church modeled this for us as an importance because they did a lot of things for one another. Romans 12, 10, love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Galatians 5, 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's really hard to one another one another as we're called to do to one another as the scripture tell us if we're not around one another. There's a lot of one another's in that sentence, but it's really hard to one another one another if you're never around one another. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, it is grace, nothing but grace that we are allowed to live in a community with Christian brothers and sisters. Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say this, the church gathered is a gift of God's grace towards believers. To neglect the gathering of one another is to neglect one of God's gifts of grace. Correct teaching and camaraderie. This is what the healthy early church was about. Third thing, they devoted themselves to a right procedure of corporate worship. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and prayers. To breaking of bread and prayers. There was a reason why they were coming together for right teaching and right fellowship. They were coming because they were Christ-focused. Now, there's something you can do. You can exercise and you can exercise the wrong way and actually hurt yourself more than if you hadn't exercised. Did you know this? You can just ask my son about this because last year he was exercising for school. Sorry, buddy, I didn't tell you I was going to say this. But we were exercising for school. He was exercising for school and he was doing what was told of him to do in the workout gym. And there should have probably been more adult supervision, but there wasn't. I won't get into that. And so he began to exercise in such a way that he strained his muscles and he came home super sore and was like, oh, I'm really hurting, I'm really hurting. And as we watched him that day, his muscles began to swell and fill up with water. It's a condition called rhabdomyolysis. It's where there's such a direct injury to your muscles that they, they begin to die and the muscle fibers begin to put all kinds of pollutants into your bloodstream and if not taken care of, you can have kidney failure. So you can actually exercise the wrong way and actually damage yourself. So when it comes to spiritual exercise, when it comes to joining together in the fellowship with believers, if we do this the wrong way, it can actually have a wrong effect on the body. How many people do we know who no longer gather with believers because they were spiritually wounded in a gathering with other believers? 
How many people have we seen walk away from the church because when they were part of a church, there were such self-centered gatherings that people were often waving a banner of their agenda over the banner of God's atonement. You see, we're going to talk about the unity in the church in just a second, but I want to also tell you this, that as we fellowship, we do it breaking bread with one another. That means we are Christ-focused because it's his body and his blood that was broken on our behalf so that we could have unity as a body of believers. And so we do this. We do this because we want to be Christ-first, Christ-focused, not me-focused. The reason they gathered in the early church was to focus on Christ and his sacrifice. Many people go to church for the wrong reasons these days, and it often leads to wrong results. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus began to speak to the crowd concerning John, which was John the Baptist. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses, What then did you go to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I am sending a messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there hasn't arisen one greater than John the Baptist. Jesus asked this question, Why did you go into the wilderness to see John? Why did you go? Did you go because... It was convenient? Did you go because it was comfortable? No, I mean, you went into the wilderness. That means it it actually took a journey on your behalf. You had to actually put forth a lot of effort to go and and not sit in nice cushioned chairs and drink coffee and, and, and have air conditioned. Well, air conditioned in here, not in the lobby. But, you know, air conditioned areas, heat on. No, you went to the wilderness. You actually put forth effort to go and to listen Did you go and listen to someone's opinions about politics and someone's opinions about what they think is right and what they think is wrong? No, you didn't go and listen to a reed that was blowing in the wind. No, you listened to a man who talked about repentance. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken about in the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and food he ate was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, that would be the religious people, coming to baptism... He said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, but bear fruit in keeping with repentance. As we are a church that strives to be a healthy church that has a correct teaching and camaraderie and keep our focus on Christ, we do that because we know that it is about Jesus Christ that we are called. We are called to be a part of a body, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, is a part of God's grace. It is God's grace that we are gathered here this morning. He also talks about cheap grace. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. 
It is the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out his eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets to follow him. The reason we gather is not to be entertained in Christian comfort or to be engaged in a but, but to be engaged in a Christ-centered community where we confess our sins one to another and where we grow in repentance and we bear fruit in repentance. And that's not always comfortable. That kind of community requires devotion. The reason we gather is to focus on Christ to remember his death and to share in the goodness of his grace around the table of the Lord. But if coming together with the church is ever about anything other than Christ, the gathering becomes wrong. And when the reason is wrong, the desire to come is gone. When the reason to come is wrong, your desire to come is gone. Do you understand? There's a lot of times where we make church about all these other reasons why we come. But if they ever become the wrong reason, our our want to be here will be gone. And lastly, a right practice of corporate prayer. A healthy church has a right practice of corporate prayer. Verse 42 again. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. The church in Acts, as we'll see as we go through, is a church that prays. It's the foundation of the healthy church. Not the programs, not the procedures. The foundation of a healthy church is a church that prays together. But there's a great disconnect in the church today. We can actually come to the gathering of the saints. We can attend corporate worship programs. We can sing corporate worship songs together. We can sit under corporate preaching together and never engage in corporate prayer together. Am I right? In fact, we can come to church for years and never pray. But the early church was gathered in dependence upon God, and it was evident because they were people who prayed to God. Have we lost our dependence upon the power of God in church? Have we put more emphasis on programs than prayer? Charles Spurgeon was once asked at his church what the key of a successful ministry was. For an answer, he took a visitor down to the basement room where he found a group of church members bowed in intercessory prayer. And Charles Spurgeon said, here, here's the powerhouse of the church. Church, I'm grieved that prayer often takes a back seat in all the things that we do. The healthy church, the early church was one that was devoted to correct teaching to camaraderie, to Christ. They were Christ-centered, and they were praying together. Can you imagine what would happen if we prayed together more often? Can you imagine? Second Chronicles 7.14 says this, If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, I believe it takes humility to humble yourself and pray. And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I would hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. 
One person said that the family that prays together stays together. Have you heard that? Maybe it's true that if a church that prays together stays together. It's hard to hold a grudge and unforgiveness and bitterness towards another church member if you will humble yourself and pray with that person. So the early church was growing in community. Number two, they were growing in unity. Verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as had need. When the church loses its awe of God, it loses its unity in the body. When the church loses its awe of who God is and what God's doing, it loses its unity in the body. Nothing is more damaging to the church and its witness than disunity. A church that takes its eye off the wonder of God and places it on the the wants of man will lack unity. A A lot of times we we take our focus off the awe of God and we put it on the wants of man and then we begin to bicker and be divided about things. The church today has lost a lot of its witness because it's been crippled by disunity because there's all kinds of things that we can pick to argue about. Politics, political candidates, whether or not to wear masks, CDC guidelines, Arguing over carpet colors, arguing over wall colors, choir robes, pews or chairs. Can I just keep hitting these? You want me to just keep hitting them? What does the world see? It sees a church that's raised its banner of agenda rather than its banner of adoption under Christ. It's banner of atonement. We're united in Christ. So Paul would tell us in Philippians 2, 1 through 5. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being the same mind, having the same love, being a full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. There's a humble attitude of unity that is to be displayed in the church. And this is why Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, prayed for unity. John chapter 17, 9 through 11 and 20 through 23, he says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There's there's the witness right there. We want the world to know that, that Jesus Christ is Lord and it's seen in the unity of the church. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me 
and loved them even as you have loved me. The church grew in unity. The unity of the church is key for the purpose of the church. Unity in the church is key for the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to glorify Christ. Therefore, church unity is key. We can have our opinions. We can have our preferences. It's okay. We can actually be different, but we have to be unified in our difference. Unified under Christ. This is why Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 4, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. I love that. Church, can you hear that today? He urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to, to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I read all of that because I want you to see that this is Paul's Basics, basic instructions to the church. This is how we should function in unity. Put away falsehood. Don't buy into the world's lies. Focus on the word of God. Be angry. Go for it. But do not sin. We're all emotional people. There's times where we're going to get angry with one another because if you have brothers and sisters, you know that those, those times happen. We're brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. There's times where we're going to get mad at one another. But don't don't sin in your anger. Unity is never being, isn't never being mad or upset. It's being able to forgive and reconcile even when you are mad and upset. Do honest work with your own hands so that you may have something to share with anyone in need. The church was gathered together and they put things in the offering plate. They shared with one another because there was others in their midst that were in need. And so he's saying, hey, continue that. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths. All bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander need to be put away from you. Don't let the sins of the mouth sever members from the body. Don't let the sins of the mouth sever members from the body. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Paul would say, hey, don't forget. You're a sinner too. It's real easy to forget that when we're pointing out the sins of others. Don't forget, you're a sinner too. 
The last one is this. The early church grew in hospitality. Grew in community, grew in unity, grew in hospitality. Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Do you notice that they gathered together in both large and small groups? You see that? They gathered in the temple, but they also gathered in each other's homes. There was correct teaching, but there was also camaraderie. There was fellowship. There was rich fellowship in the early church. They wanted to be together. They wanted to hold on to the apostles' teachings. They wanted to break spiritual bread together. They did this in large gatherings and small gatherings because church is not a place that you go. Church is the people you are. Church is not a place you go. Church is the people you are. And if we are a people, then we gather together in large and in small. This is how the church functions. The church functions in community. And it functions in community because there's hospitality. The church functions in community because it functions with hospitality. Romans 12, 9 through 13. Paul says this. Let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is how the early church functioned. Paul tells them, church, gather together in genuine love. Church, let's gather together in genuine love. Let's hate what is evil. Let's hate the sin that's in our lives. Let's hold on to the truth. Let's treat the church as family. Let's be passionate about serving one another. Let's be hopeful. Let's be patient. Let's be prayerful. Let's be generous. And let's be hospitable. The word hospitable means to bring in the outsider. It's to welcome them in. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2 says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Hospitality is easy to neglect because hospitality takes work. Hospitality allows people in to your comfort zone. Am I right? Hospitality sometimes makes us feel like we've got to clean up and put on a better face than what we really have. Hospitality, be genuine. Above all, 1 Peter 4, 8, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. The church is a grace. It's grace. To be able to gather together with brothers and sisters, being unified in Christ, showing hospitality to one another, bringing in those who are far off, it's a grace. And what God does when the church is healthy like that is God adds to their number day by day those who are being saved. Hospitality will stretch you. It can be hard. It can be difficult. It can be inconvenient. 
but we're called to do it without grumbling. Church, today we want to be a church that's a community. We also want to be a church that's full of unity. We will, we will check our preferences at the door and we will walk in here and we will show love and respect to one another. We will care for one another. We will be generous to one another. We will love one another. Even if we don't see eye to eye on everything that's going on in this world, we are the church. We're the family of God. And when we are unified and we show hospitality to the stranger, God adds to the church daily those who are being saved. What a wonderful gift it is to be part of the body of Christ. Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Go to our website, meadowviewbaptist.com or subscribe to hear more sermons like this or to get more information about how to be involved at Meadowview Baptist.